All 50 states and territories across this country are, are opening up safely and responsibly. No, no, they are not, Mr. Vice President. Stop lying to the American people. Oh, I forgot. That's what you get paid for. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I uh, got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Also up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, something is going on in Indiana, Desi Doyen. Oh, you think? Yes, yeah, something. And it, and not, I don't mean the you know the toxic uh, misery left behind by former Indiana governor turned Trump's deputy clown in chief Mike Pence, but uh, something where it's Secretary of State, a former uh, member of Donald Trump's discredited and disbanded voter fraud commission, is refusing to release emails relating to electronic voting systems, um, b- discussions with other secretaries of state about that, uh, as she is actually arguing, quote, a reasonable likelihood of threatening public safety by exposing a vulnerability to terrorist attack. Her emails are that important? Yes, they will expose a vulnerability to terror- terrorist attack. Now, this is the woman, the same woman, uh, Indiana Secretary of State Connie Lawson, who testified in the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee back in uh, 2017 regarding the uh, uh, Russian attempt to interfere with the election in 2016. Uh, she testified that elections in U.S. are completely safe. They're protected from, from danger, from manipulation, because they are never connected to the Internet. So why worry? That, of course, is a lie. It is totally false. But she comes from Indiana. She's a Republican. So, uh, you know, I guess that's what Indiana Republicans do. And then they become vice president. Oh, why limit it to Indiana? Republicans kind of do that. But the thing is, if they're not connected to the Internet, as she says, what could she possibly be talking about with her fellow secretaries of state that is a national security threat that could threaten public safety by exposing a vulnerability to a terrorist attack? 
Well, thanks to a lawsuit filed by the National Election Defense Council and Free Speech for People, we may soon find out, as those groups had an important victory in court this week um, that has not been reported elsewhere, but it may allow the public to see those emails that are just so scary and threatening. The attorney from Free Speech for People will be here momentarily to explain this week's uh, largely unreported, but potentially very important victory, at least for public oversight of our public elections. Remember that? <sighs> but it's early in the show. I got to start easy. I got to <laughs> slow down. OK, let's start actually with it with a bit more uh, encouraging news here uh, before we get to the news that is less so today. The Trump administration does not have the authority to use military funding to pay for construction of a border wall. A federal appeals court panel ruled on Friday in a 2-1 ruling. A ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel found that diverting $2.5 billion that Congress had appropriated for uh, the military to build Trump's wall instead under the guise of a phony national emergency that that was in violation of the Constitution and is unlawful. Huh, who knew? The executive branch, quote, lacked independent constitutional authority to authorize the transfer of funds, according to the ruling. These funds were appropriated for other purposes, and the transfer amounted to drawing funds from the Treasury without authorization by statute and thus violating the Appropriations Clause. Therefore... The judge is right. The transfer of funds here was unlawful. The decision uh, upheld a lower court ruling by a federal judge in California who last year also found that the Trump administration's funding scheme was, in fact, against the law. A coalition of states led by California had filed suit to block the move. The administration had commandeered that military money last year after Congress specifically refused to appropriate money for Trump's wall. The president then declared a national emergency at the border in order to access, well, they say access, I would say actually steal the money from the Pentagon. The U.S. District Court Judge Haywood Gilliam Jr. found last year that the administration had failed to prove that the money was needed for, quote, unforeseen military requirements. The appeals court agreed, noting that uh, the problems cited with drug smugglers at the border is, quote, a long-standing problem and not, quote, unanticipated or unexpected. Therefore, it's not an emergency. In his dissent, Judge Daniel Collins disagreed, saying the administration did have the authority to use the money. The majority judges here, Sidney Thomas and Kim McLean Wardlaw, were uh, nominated to the court by Bill Clinton, while Judge Collins was a Trump nominee. Shocking. The Department of Justice course is likely to appeal the ruling to the Republicans' stolen majority on the U.S. Supreme Court when, as usual, all bets will be off. The high court has, however, weighed in on this matter once before in a related case involving the Sierra Club's legal challenge to the emergency wall funding. Um, Judge Gilliam had ruled in favor of the Sierra Club's request for an injunction to block the administration's plans, but the Supreme Court questioned whether or not the group 
even had legal standing to get involved and had issued a stay on Gilliam's order. That allowed the administration to go ahead and tap into the military funds while the appeal to the Ninth Circuit was pending. In a separate ruling on Friday, the Ninth Circuit found that the group, the Sierra Club, did in fact have standing to sue. So uh, we will see. There will be more on this case, but a a partial victory, at least for uh, the rule of law and the Constitution in this country on Friday. We don't yet know how much of the two and a half billion dollars has been spent at the border to so far build three miles of new border wall since Donald Trump has taken office. Well, that was totally worth it. In other news, as it turns out, a, a wall did not end up keeping out the real, not imagined enemy, the not imagined threat to Americans, a global pandemic that has so far killed 122,000 of us in just the past four months. And many more deaths, sadly, are on the way thanks to, yes, the criminal and purposely negligent, uh, purposeful negligence of our president, who should, in my opinion, eventually be tried for mass murder, as far as I'm concerned. In Florida, on Friday, health officials reported a record of nearly 9,000 new infections, eclipsing the previous single-day record in the Sunshine State of just over 5,000. That was set just two days ago. That means uh, new cases here have nearly doubled in just two days in Florida. And while I know there are a lot of Republicans out there hoping to convince you that the number of cases is going up simply because the amount of testing is going up, I assure you the amount of testing in Florida has not just doubled over the past two days. Fatalities in the state are also trending up with 39 new deaths announced on Friday, and those have not gone up because of additional testing. Average cases are now up about 77 percent from a week ago. And no, Florida has not increased testing by 77 percent in the past week either. It's also gone up 526 percent since Memorial Day. This is infections. The average uh, number of infections in Florida up 526 percent since Memorial Day. And no, they have not increased testing 526 percent since Memorial Day either. This is the 19th day in a row now that Florida has hit a new average high for other states. Arizona, Mississippi, Missouri and Oklahoma also hit new marks on Friday. But the day, uh, the weekend, the pandemic, unfortunately, are still young. So I suspect there will be many more such records announced by tomorrow morning. Florida also announced Friday morning that bars must close immediately. That's right. They are reclosing all the bars. And Texas, as well, is now doing the same. So I hope you all enjoyed that big Memorial Day bump to your coffers in uh, Texas and Florida. Sorry about all the people that are going to have to die in your states because of it. I also hope it makes up for the huge bump in health care costs that you're now going to have to come up with. Texas, as we explained in great detail on a previous broadcast and uh, have been warning about now for weeks on this program, is also dealing with a surge in cases and is nearing its uh, capacity to care for those suffering with ICU beds in Houston, 
Just like in Phoenix, Arizona, almost entirely filled up at this point, if not already at 100 percent capacity and now moving to open additional surge facilities very quickly. Somehow, Austin, Texas Mayor Steve Adler, a Democrat, said during an appearance on CNN today that, quote, the trajectory that we're on right now has our hospitals being overwhelmed probably about mid-July. I guess I can only hope it takes that long. Texas denialist and uh, Trump-loving Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order that revives the restrictions on bars, restaurants, and certain types of outdoor recreation just one day after suggesting he would not do so. But as it turns out, reality sucks, doesn't it, Governor? How surprising that uh, pretending the virus was going away didn't actually make it go away. It only made it worse and more deadly. Huh. In Harris County, Texas, that's Houston, which is seeing a crushing increase in cases since Memorial Day and where ICU uh, beds are now uh, facing surge capacity. Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo uh, and judges, by the way, in Texas are essentially the equivalent of county executives, uh, county executive supervisors elsewhere. So uh, Judge Lena Hidalgo bumped up the county's COVID-19 threat level to its most critical on Friday. According to the Houston Chronicle, she is asking residents to stay home and minimize all contacts with a new stay home advisory. After a surge in cases, move the county to its highest possible COVID-19 threat level, level one or code red Signals severe and worsening outbreaks that have strained contact tracing and testing. Thursday marked the second highest single day increase for COVID cases in Texas. The statewide total there is now at over 135,000 cases. Hidalgo said during a Friday press conference that the COVID-19 outbreak is leading the, uh, the county toward a, quote, catastrophic and unsustainable situation and that it is quickly becoming a hot spot in one of the world's, uh, well, yeah, one of the world's worst hit places. Here's some of her remarks, a bit muffled because I believe she is wearing a mask. When did we lose our respect for human life and the economy to the degree that we're saying let's fill our ICU beds and surge capacity before we take any meaningful action? Since when did we decide as a society that instead of saving a life and preventing the spread of the virus, we would treat human lives, the lives of our neighbors, as collateral damage to be dealt with. It was this community, residents of Harris County, that helped neighbors during Harvey. The respect for the lives of others was overwhelming. This pandemic is like an invisible hurricane where all of a sudden your neighborhood is flooding your next door neighbor's house is underwater and nobody knows why. Yet courageous, big hearted people put the lives of others first and braved dangerous floodwaters during Hurricane Harvey to rescue their stranded neighbors. Where are we today? A real expression of freedom is protecting your father, your mother, your child, your neighbor, your friend, coming together as a community and protecting one another's lives, protecting our veterans, the greatest generation that fought in World War II, doing everything possible to get the economy up and running in a smart 
and sustainable way instead of giving way to slogans and wishful thinking. To me, we have to remember our moral compass. Lives are not collateral damage. We have to remember who we are as a community. We can and must do more. It is for these reasons I'm calling once again on all residents of Harris County and all businesses in Harris County to take immediate action. This is a serious situation, and we cannot let this moment pass without action. Remember our moral compass. You know, I, 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 I probably, you know, can't forgive myself that I never imagined uh, we would have to be talking about a global pandemic like this. Uh, but I think I will forgive myself for the fact that it's impossible to even conceive of the fact that I would have to go on the air day after day and beg people to do the right thing to keep their fellow Americans alive by doing the simplest things like wearing a mask or staying at home or staying six feet away from someone else. I can't believe that we're here. Uh, Anyway, because uh, state orders by Governor Greg Abbott supersede local rules, remember that next time you hear Republicans arguing for small government and local control. They don't actually give a damn about any of that. Uh, But because of that, because the state forbids Judge Hidalgo there from uh, doing what is needed to save her own residence, Hidalgo is not able to issue an enforceable stay-at-home order. The judge is issuing a stay-home advisory that almost exactly mirrors the previous stay-at-home order. But she doesn't have the authority to issue an order, thanks to Governor Greg Abbott. The advisory asks residents, pretty please, to stay home except for essential needs, cancel all gatherings of any size, avoid non-essential personal travel, cancel nursing home and long-term facility visits, and practice health precautions for essential workers who must remain on the job. So, yeah, we're shutting it all back down, Dizzy Doyen. Yep, we are right back where we were back in March. And I think we're going to be seeing similar situations all over the country. The more the uh, GOP denialists continue on this uh, death train uh, that they somehow think they will actually, you know, that this that this is going to somehow help them win re-election this November. Uh, Nationally, uh, more than 39,000 new infections were reported by state health departments on Thursday, surpassing the previous record set a day earlier. Texas alone reported a record um, j- almost 6,000 new cases. Nonetheless, Vice President Pence said during a White House coronavirus task force news briefing on Friday, yes, they held their very first one in weeks at the White House on Friday after telling us, uh, oh, it's all going away. He said uh, during this briefing that all of these numbers are, quote, Very encouraging news. One of the things that we're seeing among the cases, and we hear this in Florida, we hear this in Texas and elsewhere, is that roughly half of the new cases are Americans under the age of 35, uh, which which is, 
at a certain level, very encouraging news. Yay! It's very encouraging news. That's fantastic. And because people under 35 happen to live in a plastic bubble and never come into contact with any other human beings who might be, you know, more at threat, like their own parents or their grandparents or people they may come in contact with at work or in public transportation or anywhere else, we don't have to worry that we now have a huge segment of the population serving as a disease vector even after they have been told now for weeks that they have nothing to worry about because they are so young and healthy. Yay! What encouraging news! This is all going very, very well. Who could have predicted it? And I, you know, and I haven't even mentioned much uh, lately the effect of this uh, grotesque and criminal failure to do the right thing that it is ha- ha- that it has had on our economy, which no is not getting any better any more than the pandemic is getting any better. By way of just one new example today, the number of homeowners delaying their mortgage payments shot up by some 80,000. And I take no joy in reporting uh, that is just the beginning. The economic failure still to come is perhaps the most underreported story of the moment, but I will save that nightmare for another day. I've already put everyone through enough over this past week, I think. And I am sorry for that. But just one more point uh, on this for now before we get back to the one way eventually out of this mess. That's through November's elections. Uh, Donald Trump, since February at least, has been repeating over and over again Uh, that the virus is just going to go away like a miracle. He says it over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month, starting in February, just every single day, it seems. Now, the virus that we're talking about having to do, you know, a lot of people think that goes away in April with the heat, as the heat comes in. Uh, Typically, that will go away in April. I've spoken to uh, President Xi. They're getting it more and more under control. So, uh... I think that's a problem that's going to go away. When you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And from our shores, we've, you know, it could get worse before it gets better. It could maybe go away. We'll see what happens. You have to be calm. It'll go away. It will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away. We need a little separation until such time as this goes away. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. It will go away. You know it. You know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. It's going to go away, hopefully, at the end of the month. And if not, it hopefully will be soon after that. But has so it is going, thinking on this evolve. It is going away. I didn't say it it April. I said it's going away. And it is going away. You were saying things like, I think it's a problem that's going to go away within Which a couple right of days. About. It will go away. I think what happens is it's going to go away. This is going to go away. It's going to go. It's going to leave. It's going to be gone. It's going to be eradicated. It's not going away. It's not going away. It's not being eradicated. It is going in the opposite direction. That was Donald Trump in February and March and April and May. We are now in June, almost to July. Uh, Now, with this exclusive today from NBC News, President Donald Trump keeps spinning a tale about COVID-19 that is at odds with his own administration's disease experts and data compiled by his own coronavirus task force. Data that was obtained exclusively by NBC News. 
In Trump's telling, they write, the deadly pandemic isn't really a serious threat to the public and rising infection rates are simply due to increased testing. It's going away, he said on Tuesday at an event in Phoenix. He said that on Tuesday in Phoenix, which is almost completely out of ICU beds. And which, uh, as an epidemiologist said on this program over a week ago, she fears they are going to have to start choosing who gets to live and die in Phoenix. Trump said that on Tuesday as he held a death rally inside a church with about 3,000 people crowded into it in one of the hottest hotspots in the nation and almost nobody, including him, was wearing a mask. But on that very same day... As he was telling his supporters, it's going away, according to NBC, the White House Coronavirus Task Force produced an internal document showing that Phoenix had the highest number of cases of new cases among the 10 metropolitan regions where the week over week change in infection rates spiked the most. Arizona's biggest city had recorded more than 13,000 new cases over the previous seven days, accounting for a jump of 150 percent over the previous week's infection rate. And no, they had not increased testing by 150 percent in those seven days. It's not the number of tests that are increasing. It's the percentage of them that are coming back as positive, and especially in places like Phoenix, the number of hospitalizations that are rising. I could not even bring myself to play that part of Mike Pence's statement today when he when he said that the cases were going up. Because, you mean that when that he was, lied because he said more testing is the reason that cases are and going up. And he called up. it good news because, you know, because of this increase in testing. This is all good news. So, yeah, we have a policy on this show against playing lies from public officials when we can all at all help it. Anyway, the task force records Mike Pence's task force records also show that big surges have been recorded in Texas, around San Antonio, Houston, Corpus Christi, Lubbock and College Station and in other population centers across the U.S. from counties uh, in uh, the Jacksonville, Orlando and Tampa regions of Florida. Oh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida where the uh, RNC has moved their Trump coronation convention because North Carolina, also a hotspot, would not allow a maskless gathering of thousands of people shoulder to shoulder so that Trump could hear people cheering for him. Also, uh, Atlanta's Fulton County, Joplin, Missouri's Newton County, California's San Joaquin Valley. A separate chart shows both infection rates and deaths rising in recent days more dramatically. And that don't happen because you're testing more. In fact, it should happen less. There should be fewer deaths if you begin to test more. So the White House knows all of this stuff. They're ignoring it. They're lying to you about it and telling you it's all going away. It's just going to go away. But it is not. But you know who may be going away? Donald Trump. At least if his failing polls are anywhere even close to correct. Democratic challenger Joe Biden now holds a 10-point lead over Trump nationally in the Real real Clear Politics average of national surveys, following a spate of uh, new surveys showing a gap of 8 to 14 percentage points between Biden and Trump, with Biden leading over the past few days. But those are national polls. I tell you to ignore them. I hope you will continue to do so. Far more importantly, state-by-state polls are showing Trump trailing in key battleground states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and, yes, Florida and, yes, Arizona and, yes, North Carolina and, yes, 
It's an essentially uh, statistical tie in both Georgia and, wait for it, in Texas. A new Reuters Ipsos poll released Wednesday found that only 37 percent of Americans approve of Trump's handling of the pandemic crisis, which makes me think, how can 37 percent approve? Nonetheless, only 37 percent. So good news, maybe for voters. Bad news for the man that should be held criminally liable for criminal negligence that has so far led to at least 122,000 deaths in the U.S., with many more to come, sadly. But of course, uh, that's bad news only if Americans are able to hold an election, to vote in that election, to count the votes cast in that election, and to know that they have been counted accurately. That fight for public oversight of our public elections had at least a small but uh, perhaps noteworthy victory in court this week in Mike Pence's Indiana against one of the members of Donald Trump's now-abandoned phony voter fraud task force members. That story and one of the attorneys who notched that victory joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Don't talk about the weather. Shh. It's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. Shh. That's the safest yeah. way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical yeah. times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. Oh, you do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, This week, an Indianapolis judge granted the National Election Defense Council's motion to order Indiana Secretary of State Connie Lawson to produce for confidential uh, in-chambers review dozens of communications with the private non-governmental organization called the National Association for Secretaries of State, or NAS, regarding computerized voting and tabulation systems used across the country. Apparently... A military secret. The documents, which do not necessarily pertain to only Indiana, were sought by NEDC in a public records request for communications between Secretary Lawson and NAS, where Lawson had served as president from 2017 to 2018. Election integrity groups uh, like NEDC have warned for years that Lawson and NAS have been spreading disinformation about the safety of voting machines. Under the Indiana Access to Public Records Act, the lawsuit filed by Free Speech for People and Indianapolis attorney William Groth charges the Indiana Secretary of State with unlawfully denying access to public records regarding the reliability and security of voting machines. Lawson refused to provide the documents, claiming they were exempt from disclosure, citing, among other reasons, a statutory exemption for materials that pose, quote, 
a reasonable likelihood of threatening public safety by exposing a vulnerability to terrorist attack. Conversations between secretaries of state might expose a vulnerability to terrorist attack? Really? Our elections are somehow now a military secret? In, Law in Lawson's June 2017 testimony to the U.S. Senate Select Committee's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, Secretary Lawson insisted that it was, quote, very important to underscore that voting machines are not connected to the Internet or networked in any way. According to Attorney Groth, she was not telling the truth. As he noted in a statement in response to the judge's ruling this week, and as we have been reporting on this program and at Bradblog.com for years now, many voting machines certified for use in states such as Florida, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin contain wireless modems which connect to the Internet and expose voting systems to online attacks. In addition, there have been multiple jurisdictions in states such as Pennsylvania, whose voting systems were found to be configured with remote access software installed to facilitate remote control of the system over the Internet. In many cases, as we have also reported here, vendors like ESNS, the nation's largest voting system company, sold systems with deliberately installed off-the-shelf PC Anywhere remote access software on voting system devices. Though the company subsequently lied about that fact to the New York Times' Kim Zetter, as we've also discussed with her on this show, uh, after the company subsequently admitted the truth in response to questions from Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. While the court in Indiana agreed Lawson failed to justify her assertion of the security exemption in this case, ordering her to submit the records withheld under this exemption to the court under seal, Within 15 days, the secretary's office, which really does not want to release these emails for some reason, also argued that a standard email boilerplate reading, quote, the information contained in this communication from the sender is confidential in the uh, signature block of every email from the uh, NAS staffers, that that exempts all of the organization's communications to the government from public disclosure. The judge rejected that argument. And finally, the court rejected the secretary's effort to justify withholding various communications between her office and NAS on the basis of the, deliver the deliberative materials exemption, the trade secrets exemption, and the purported copyright exemption. Remember, we are talking about public voting systems here, which public officials like Lawson appear to be protecting on behalf of private voting system vendors. The court found the secretary had not provided adequate evidence to justify her assertion of several of those exemptions and has granted partial summary judgment on the legal point that the secretary cannot assert the copyright and trade secrets exemption as to these materials. After nine months of fruitless exchanges and Secretary Lawson's repeatedly evolving explanations for denial and delay, says Ron Fine, legal director of Free Speech for People, the vast majority of public records sought has still not been released. Fine calls the ruling this week from the Indiana court, quote, an important victory in ensuring that the public have access to essential information regarding the reliability 
and security of voting machines. As I said, the secretary has now 15 days to provide these materials um, withheld under the terrorism risk exception to the judge. He will review them in the chambers. And joining us now to discuss this important case is Ron Fine of Free Speech for People. Ron Fine, thanks for joining us on the broadcast on short notice today, sir. Thank you. It's my pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me on, Brad. You bet. Uh, so, well, Secretary Lawson seems to be doing a whole lot of dodging here. And you say this is a, uh, a, a victory for the public here to have access to this information. But in fact, the public doesn't yet have access to uh, at least some of this information that will only be seen by the judge in his chambers. Do I understand that correctly? Uh, yeah, that's right. So the judge uh, will examine in, in her chambers uh, the materials that the secretary claimed would pose a risk of terrorist attack uh, if they were disclosed. And uh, we think this is a, a very unlikely exception to apply here. We, we can't say it's impossible mm -hmm. um, because, of course, we haven't seen the documents. Mm -hmm. But uh, we actually made clear in our request that we were not asking for anything that was classified. Um, and we even said that if there are employees who have security clearances who have been exchanging emails with NAS, we don't even want the records that came from them. So uh, we, we already ruled out a, a potential major category. And again, what we're talking about is uh, critical election infrastructure, mm -hmm. but we're talking about emails between the Secretary of State and this non-governmental organization. Mm -hmm. It's not like these were emails with the Department of Homeland Security right. uh, or, or something like that, where even then sometimes government agencies have a tendency to overclaim uh, these risks of, of terrorism. So I, I have a feeling that the judge may find maybe one or two of them validly you know, fall within this exemption, but that it seems unlikely that, that all of these materials are going to remain secret uh, forever. And w with respect to the other exemptions, um, you know, the judge uh, found that the secretary had not adequately justified her burden of, of withholding them. So that means in the cases, the non-terror-related uh, e emails here, that those will have to be released at some point uh, immediately, I guess? The, the judge did ask us to narrow uh, the request, mm -hmm. uh, found that uh, our client, the National Election Defense Coalition's uh, request was was broad uh, and, and wanted it to be narrowed. So we will uh, come back with a, a, a narrower set of requests. But uh, the secretary did not justify claiming any of these exemptions, and in particular, um, the, the copyright and trade secret exemptions. The judge just flatly rejected uh, those as even remotely applicable to the, these types of materials. That would be a, a public election official attempting to protect the copyright and trade secrets for on behalf of a private company, in this case ESNS? Uh, I think it was on behalf of NAS, the National Association of Secretaries of, of State. But but why NAS they, would 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 have you know trade secrets right. uh, involved in the emails that it's sending to public state agencies that are you know uh, it, this is supposedly an organization of state officials and how it could have you know a, a private economic interest justifying a profit right. here or, or or copyright in in these materials based on that boilerplate. Um, it is, it's surprising enough uh -huh. that NAS had the right to intervene in this lawsuit uh -huh. to protect those interests, and they chose not to. Ah, 
So good. So at least the judge, uh, she has thrown that part out. Uh, and I'm, I'm stuck on this on this. Uh, national security terrorism exemption. Now, you've got uh, Connie Lawson, Secretary of State. And by the way, she was, I believe she's a Republican. She was placed on uh, Donald Trump's phony uh, voter fraud commission that ended up disbanding in shame, uh, if I recall correctly. But I'm trying to figure out what might even trigger such an exemption since Lawson testified to the U.S. Senate that these systems at no time are ever connected to the Internet. So what sort of national security could she be protecting? It seems like she was either lying then or lying now, so to speak, uh, unless there's another element that I'm missing here. Well, we know for a fact that she wasn't telling at least the complete truth then, because Mm -hmm. we know, as you mentioned at the outset, that many of these voting machines do have uh, wireless modems or other capability to connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, why she's claiming that these materials uh, pose a, a national security risk? She's never given us an explanation, and that's part of why uh, she lost that argument in the case. Is, is she just uh, asserted that they would pose this risk of terrorism threat? And again, mm-hmm. I don't want to categorically say it's impossible that any possible you know document about election infrastructure. Uh, could ever trigger this exception. Maybe there is such a document out there, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty steep hurdle to make to say that information about uh, the, the equipment that we vote on, which should be information that the American public uh, is able to understand when it's being exchanged with an outside organization that's not even part of the government, mm-hmm. uh, that this is uh, so sensitive that it would pose a, a risk of terrorism if it were revealed, that, that, that there needs to be a little bit more evidence behind that. I mean, that, that's an exception that's used for things like, you know, the layout of nuclear power plants. That's not right. for emails with, um, you know, a, a trade association. Well, oddly enough, it, it is used by election officials. Uh, you and I were talking off air uh, a little bit ago. I recall a case that we've reported on at bradblog.com over the years from back, I think it was 2004, the 2004 election. Uh, in Alaska, where the Democratic Party there had concerns about the results as reported for good reason. There was a lot of questions about the results that were uh, uh, produced by the Diebold uh, voting systems at the time up there in Alaska. And they uh, they basically wanted to look at the results, basically the database of the results, the cast vote records. And that was denied to them because the governor at the time as I recall, uh, now Senator Lisa Murkowski's father did the same thing, said that, no, we can't release that data to you. That would be a national security threat. That was years ago. So we see this a lot from officials. It's kind of mind blowing when we're talking about, you know, public elections where uh, public oversight is key. Uh, You know, the the very heart, the most important governmental function. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm troubled by all of this. What what exactly are well, what exactly are you looking for in these emails uh, once you finally get them? What do you hope to find? What do you suspect? that uh, Connie Lawson may be trying to hide here, either on her own behalf or on behalf of the National Association of Secretaries of State? Again, we we won't know until we see it, but Mm -hmm. what we are uh, suspecting is that these statements that she has made, like when she told uh, the Senate committee that uh, voting machines can't connect to the Internet, even though that's inaccurate, Mm -hmm. that these statements are coming from somewhere. 
And when she is called to testify or was called to testify as president of the National Association of Secretaries of State, uh, she was working off of talking points and information prepared by someone. Mm -hmm. And we suspect that uh, at least some of that information that is uh, misrepresentative of the actual security features of the voting uh, infrastructure mm -hmm. is coming ultimately from the voting machine vendors yep. uh, through NAS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, and it's being used to influence secretaries of state, uh, many of whom may be innocent in repeating talking points that they're getting uh, from NAS, but that are ultimately industry talking points that are not grounded in truth. So when, uh, some of these emails may, in fact, include information coming from the vendors uh, that, that, you know, explanations about the voting systems, about, oh, our systems are never connected to the Internet. You can go to Congress and tell them that. Uh, we might see something like that uh, within these uh, emails. In other words, the emails that come uh, to NAS from these companies, that would not be uh, exempt from release. The, the materials that are, have been sent to the Secretary of State of Indiana, who's a public official, mm -hmm. uh, in our view, you know, virtually all of them ought to be public. There, there might be a rare case where one of these exceptions uh, is uh, applicable, but they're coming to the Secretary of State from this outside organization, NAS. Mm -hmm. And so it, they're not discussions within the Indiana government between, you know, high-ranking Indiana officials about what to do. These are coming from an outside organization that's a non-public organization. And normally, anything coming in from the outside mm -hmm. uh, is subject to public disclosure. So the fact that the Indiana Secretary of State has fought so hard to keep these materials private uh, suggests that uh, at least some of them have something that's embarrassing that they don't want the public to see. Well, I can't imagine what that would be. Uh, NAS holds uh, conventions, actually, each year. They're often actually sponsored by these voting machine companies who end up giving them free trips to Vegas, and they wine and dine them. And as a result, election officials like Lawson uh, end up, as as you suggest, simply parroting uh, whatever the vendors tell them about their own systems. They may not even, you know, when Lawson uh, said that demonstrably uh, false claim that these voting systems are never connected to the Internet, she might not even have known that, yes, in fact, they are. Uh, they also, these uh, companies tend to give money and uh, uh, lobby these uh, election officials hard. Um so is that one of the hopes that we might find uh, evidence that further uh, lays out that that fact about the relationship between these public officials and these private companies? We may well. And in some cases, uh, the companies are uh, either outright bribing or engaging in extremely unethical practices with election officials. You may have also seen that the executive director of the New York City uh, Board of Elections mm -hmm. was just fined. Uh, for taking an illegal gift from ESNS, one of the, the major uh, election uh, equipment mm -hmm. vendors, uh, to influence the purchase of uh, voting machinery there. And in some cases, they may be innocent dupes who are just, you know, quickly printing out talking points that were provided to them by NAS, which mm -hmm. is an organization that you know, every secretary of state uh, joins and that they may not have any reason to, to doubt, but if it's acting as a conduit, for talking points or, frankly, propaganda from the voting system vendors, then it's really doing a disservice 
to the American people for NAS to allow itself to be used this way and for secretaries of state to uncritically repeat their talking points. I mentioned in the intro there that uh, remote access software has been found on uh, voting systems across the country through ESNS, the nation's largest voting vendor. Uh, you know, they have apparently lied about that fact to the New York Times, to Kim Zetter, and they had later admitted the truth or their version of it in a response to Senator Ron Wyden and researchers found uh, recently that uh, as recently as just a few months ago, election systems in several states, battleground states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, were found to be online even when elections were not actually ongoing, which seemed to contradict Lawson's statement and those of other elections officials uh, and, of course, the, the companies that these systems are safe because they're never connected to the Internet. Do we even definitively know at this point, Ron Fine, um, which systems do and don't use the Internet at various points in the election process as we are uh, just about four months away now from the most critical election in our nation's history? At a time that, you know, the DHS and the FBI have all said that voting systems are being targeted by foreign and domestic actors alike. Do we have any confidence at this late date that these systems actually are safe from intrusion, either foreign or domestically via the Internet? I would say very little to no confidence. The, the safest form of voting is hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, and uh, obviously there's some people who need to use a device for accessibility purposes mm -hmm. because they can't use the, in the pen on the paper, and the, the federal law requires that every polling place have one of those machines. But for everyone else, the most secure voting method is good old-fashioned uh, pen on paper. It can be scanned by an optical scanner, mm -hmm. um, which uh, obviously is a computer system that can have its own flaws. Yes. And can have, it can be hacked. Thank you but for noting least, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but at least when you've got the, the paper ballot that the voter marked themselves, if there's any doubt whatsoever, you can always manually count the ballots that the voters cast. But mm -hmm. when you start off from the standpoint of um, voting machines where they, the voters mark their votes on the computer that can be hacked, then you can't even trust uh, the, 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 the fundamental votes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a matter of recounting. It's a matter of you don't even know what you're counting. It, it, you can count it as many times as you want, but if it's garbage in, then it's certainly going to be garbage out. So that's why uh, we at Free Speech for People certainly uh, have advocated that the only secure voting system is hand-marked paper ballots, again, with the exception for those who need the accessible voting system, which is a, a small but important part of the population. Everyone else, wherever possible, should be voting uh, on paper by hand. Thank you. God bless you, Counselor. Uh, what happens next after the uh, judge reviews these documents? Then, to, and, and do you feel that uh, she has enough expertise here to evaluate the claims of whether these are actually uh, you know, security risks or not when she uh, reviews these by herself, I guess, in her chambers? I mean, she, she has a couple of options when she's reviewing it. She, she might look at something, and obviously she's an expert in the law, um, mm -hmm. even right. if uh, not in, you know, the security risks of uh, election systems. And she might look at something and say, this is plainly not within the, the exception, um, and I'm going to order this uh, released. Uh, she might look at something else and make the opposite. And in between, she might say, this is ambiguous, so I'm going to require the state to provide a detailed justification, and then I'll see if I believe it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, 
we expect that maybe we're not going to get 100% of those materials because mm-hmm. there might be one or two that, that you know fall within the category, um, but that uh, at least a, a solid percentage of them we hope she'll find are uh, not subject to that exception. And then we, um, on, with uh, our, our client here, the National Election Defense Coalition, will go back to the state with a, a request for um, a narrower request for the other materials um, and so hopefully the state will be more accommodating in light of the fact that the judge has basically said that um, all of their asserted justifications for withholding materials uh, have not been substantiated, and then hopefully we will get, again, if not everything, then at least most of what we're looking for. We often talk uh, 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 about the importance of public oversight when it comes to elections as the really the, the most important uh, security measure that we can have. So uh, finally, Ron Fine, uh, I'm wondering why uh, ultimately you see that you find it important that the public be able to see this sort of material. Uh, why is that so important as, uh, as you and free speech for people see that? One of the most essential elements of democracy is a free and fair election. And the free and fair election requires that it be uh, secure and trustworthy so that when we have uh, a vote, people can trust that their votes were accurately cast and, uh, and, and counted properly. And then there may be sometimes disputes, but that at least we know that we're operating with the right set of votes. Mm-hmm. And the problem that the electronic voting machines inject into this system is the uncertainty as to what we're even counting. And when we have misinformation out there about the security of these systems, when that misinformation is being spread by election officials, whose job is supposed to be to spread accurate information, yeah. uh, and if anything, tamp down uh, you know, uh, the misinformation, mm-hmm. uh, then it means that we have uh, a crisis of legitimacy in the election. And so what we're hoping through this public records access lawsuit is that uh, if we can shine a light on the processes by which election officials end up as vehicles for misinformation about the security and reliability of our election systems, Hmm. then that will provide an opening for reform so that we can move towards the most secure and reliable voting system, which is hand-marked paper ballot. You will be doing all of us a great service if you can pull that off. Ron Fine is the legal director at Free Speech for People, a government accountability group challenging big money in politics, corruption at the highest levels of government, fighting for free and fair elections, and advancing uh, a new jurisprudence grounded in the promise of political equality and democratic self-government if you can imagine such a thing. You can find their uh, work at freespeechforpeople.org, and you can find Ron himself on the Twitters at Ron Fine. That's F-E-I-N, Ron Fine. Ron, really appreciate you joining us today and hope you'll uh, stay in touch as, uh, as, as Secretary Lawson starts producing documents, hopefully soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Okay, quick break, and we'll be, you know, uh, Des, let's let's get out with the song today, shall <laughs> okay. we? I think we all need one after this past week. Uh, that's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. wonder what kind of spike we're going to see in COVID numbers coming out of Donald Trump's death rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma about a week or so ago. I don't look forward to those numbers, but uh, Stephen Colbert, the Colbert Late Show with Stephen Colbert, had a... Uh, had sort of a fun take on it all. This morning, sources close to the White House say President Trump is furious that his much-hyped campaign reboot went bust. His Saturday night rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, drawing a much smaller than expected crowd. TikTok users and fans of Korean pop music groups on Twitter saying they registered online for free tickets to the rally with no intention of actually going. crowd turnout was really lame and the empty seats were there to greet a man who's probably insane oh la homa the speech went horribly awry thanks to tiktok fans and k-pop stands the upper deck is bluer than the sky he'll explain he can walk down a ramp and drink water and when he says, slow the testing down, please. Saying that he doesn't care if you die, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Stephen Colbert. <laughs> thanks to our producer, Desi Doy. And thanks to my guest today, Ron Fine of freespeechforpeople.org. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free anytime. Share it with your friends and family by stopping by bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider hitting our donate button that you can go straight to if you go to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep Desi Doyen and I on the air and raising hell and raking muck at least five days a week. Without your support, we couldn't do it. So you have only yourself to blame. <laughs> you can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>